Hello, and welcome back to Great Takes from the Great Lakes, Episode 4, presented by Tunnel Vision Sports. As always, the Great Takes are coming at you from Luke Mori, and fresh off the trip to one of our Great Lakes, Mr. Alex Dimel, how was vacation? Vacation was great. Um, Tigers did win while I was up there, so now I'm wondering if I have to go back up just to make them win, because they just came off of a... Uh, Losing streak to or a sweep by the Minnesota Twins. And speaking of baseball, we are going to roll into All Star Week with our thoughts on who's going to win the home run derby. We're going to touch uh, uh, All Star game predictions, and we're also going to touch the MLB draft, which was last night, and give you a bit of a breakdown as well from that as well. As always, we have got a lot to talk about, a whole lot of sports, especially now in the from when we're recording this last 48 hours. Conor McGregor lost to Dustin Poirier after snapping his own leg in the first round, a horrible injury. Italy won the EuroLeague Championship on a wild sequence of penalty kicks. The Bucks kept their Larry O'Brien hopes alive with a huge Game 3 win, crushed the Suns. Uh, of course, the MLB draft was last night, and, oh, we have our uh, 2021 NHL champs. Anything on that, Luke? Well, I mean, we kind of expected it, but it was absolute domination by the Lightning, and Andre Vasilevsky had one of the best goaltending careers or uh, series that I think I've ever seen. And so we'll talk a little bit about that, talk about how good he was, but then we'll also have uh, just a little preview for the NFL. We'll go through some of the power rankings, talk through uh, what teams are going to be at the bottom of the league, and we'll see what happens. All right, let's get into it. to start over in Europe, where England missed three straight PKs to lose the EuroLeague Finals to Italy. It is Italy's first win since 1968. And, of course, this calls into question uh, some of the choices on who was actually taking the PKs. Uh, Bukayo Saka took the last one, of course, missed it. He was 19 years old. Uh, that's a, pe- a person a lot of people are kind of targeting is maybe this is a kid that shouldn't have been out there. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Like, you got to um, you gotta roll with your young guys at some point, and especially in extra time, you know, you're really hoping for that quick goal, you know, the, the speedster just to get out there and just get a quick goal to finish it before you even get to PKs. But, you know, sometimes it doesn't always work, and then you got to really roll with it, especially in soccer with the substitutions. You know, you can't take them back. And it's tough, but you got to roll with your young guys. And I think it's going to be a big growing moment for him. I think he's going to get even better, you know, learning from his mistakes. And it happens, you know, you just got to stick with your young guys. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I mean, how about the confidence from this kid? I mean, and he must have felt very nervous. Uh, He came out, he's 19 years old and he's representing his country in an international tournament. Uh, I think soccer is obviously one of the biggest sports 
in Europe in general. So I think the fact that he went out there in general and made that team is incredible. Uh, I'm sure there were a lot of nerves, but I don't know statistics in general, but I'm sure he was there for a reason. I'm sure they put him out there for a reason. So I don't think there should be any sort of shame. Yes, it's a clutch moment that they needed to hit. And unfortunately he couldn't, but they made it to the final. They made it as far as they could. And I'm sure they battled like you know, nobody's business. So I don't think there should really be any slander from uh, England fans in general, because it's the confidence and energy it takes to go out there at 19 years old uh, is a lot. And so hat tip to all of those players hat tip to Italy, of course, for pulling it out late at the end and um, you know, a great game of soccer. Kyle Saka was the 19 year old that missed that final PK. He did have, uh, in the victories leading up, uh, some great games. So, you know, hard to knock that guy. Obviously, it didn't end up in a, um, a win. But another kind of ugly or perhaps interesting, uh, for me, definitely ugly loss was McGregor losing to Dustin Poirier. It was the third time they had faced off. It was hyped up as this trilogy. And then at the end of the first round, about uh, 25 seconds left, McGregor goes down with a very surprising injury. He almost, uh, for those of you that have seen Gordon Hayward go down a couple of years ago with kind of a ankle break or a leg break on the shin right above the ankle, it was really that, a snap all the way through. But it was so weird. It was no real contact. He just rolled his ankle so hard it just broke. And... Um, it was certainly a back-and-forth fight up until then, very exciting, and it looked, you know, just tough. Uh, it was it was hard to watch. Absolutely. And, you know, it's always tough to see. Injuries are part of all sports. But you hate to see it happen, especially in a one-on-one match like that where, you know, one person goes down and that's just the end of it, especially because it was so uh, hyped up. You know, obviously it was the third meeting. You know, there's a lot of trash talk going on between the two. The uh, Like, the weigh-in was very physical. They were really getting into it. And I think... It's tough to see, but McGregor will be back for sure. And I think one thing people are forgetting is because of this, because it was uh, a doctor stoppage, as McGregor alluded to multiple times, um, I think it builds anticipation for the next match. I do think we're going to see uh, a fourth fight between Poirier and McGregor, which obviously builds anticipation uh, for the next round. So obviously, despite injuries, I am excited to see that happen again. The double champ will be back. Um, hopefully in peak uh, form for the next fight. Um, yeah, I, like you guys said, nobody really wants to see that happen. Uh, they normally, you know, you want to see a fight go to the end, you do, or you want to see a knockout. But um, no, I think, it, like I said, it builds anticipation for the next match, and uh, I couldn't be more excited to watch it. It tweeted out yesterday um, that he came out of surgery, it was successful, everything went well. Of course, they had to you know, kind of rush him into uh, kind of an emergency surgery. Um, and he said six weeks on crutches and then right back to work. I'm sure it'll take a lot of, a lot of physical therapy, but um, working towards it. And we are also kind of working towards our, you know, the start of the NFL season right here. We have, um, we're going to start a little segment where we do power rankings. So we're starting at 32 up to 26 this week. Then segments of five going through each of the next five or six weeks should line us up right with the start of the NFL season. And uh, I'm kind of interested to see some of your guys's. I know, I know Dimel's betting on uh, the tags 
So I do. I'll get into my thoughts on the Jaguars in a minute here. But starting at the bottom, uh, n- number 32, I'm going to go with the Houston Texans. Uh, we're still unsure about Deshaun Watson. He says he's uh, not going to report to camp. Uh, and they didn't, They not only that, but they didn't have a pick until the third round of the NFL draft this year and haven't really done too much to improve their roster this offseason. Obviously, they lost J.J. Watt to the Cardinals. And so I don't see this being a great year for the Texans. I think this is going to be the start of a long rebuild for them. Uh, and following that with Team 31 will be the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I don't think Jalen Hurts is fully ready to be a, a starter for the Eagles, and I don't think he has the offensive line to help him prepare for that. Um, and that being said, I do think they have a strong a strong defense, or at least a stronger defense than you know a decent amount of the NFL. But I don't see them producing offensively to the level that they did a couple of years ago when they made the Super Bowl. That's why they have them at 31. And then at uh, number 30, you have the Carolina Panthers. Um, they chose to trade for Sam Darnold over the offseason. I am not totally confident that he can uh, come in and take over an offense. Uh, they do have Christian McCaffrey, but I don't think uh, one running back can lead the team like that. I think you need more people at the helm to guide the offense, and I don't think they're going to be strong defensively as well and then moving on to number 29 i'm putting the new york jets uh i do think they had a solid draft class i do like the pick of zach wilson i think he's going to be a strong quarterback i do like the uh new coach robert sala um he will be an exciting replacement i think this is a new era of jets football but i don't i just think it's getting started and i think it's going to take time for their young core to develop Following that, I do have the Detroit Lions at 28, probably the highest out of all three of us. Um, I don't think this is going to be an extremely exciting year. I do think this is going to be a you know a high draft pick year, but I am excited for a new coach. Uh, we've had obviously the Lions have had a lot of coaching turnover in the last 10, 15 years, so I'm excited to have a coach with the energy that Dan Campbell brings to the brings to Detroit. I am interested to see how Jared Goff performs. Um, I think he's still a question mark. I will be, it'll be a little bit sad to see Matthew Stafford in a Rams uniform this year, but I am, I, I, it, I think the entire season for them is a question mark uh, in terms of how they will produce uh, offensively, but I don't think they have the defensive strength that they need yet. And I think it's just, but I think they're going to build on it soon. I think that we have the right, the energy is headed in the right direction for the Lions and then following that, I do have the Atlanta Falcons. Um, I do think Kyle Pitts was a decent choice, but I do think they needed help on the defensive side of the ball. So I'm not sure that he was the right pick for them, although he is a stellar addition to the team. Obviously, they lost Julio Jones or traded actually Julio Jones to the Titans, so they no longer have their style-wired receiver anymore. So hopefully Calvin Ridley will be able to make up some ground for the Falcons in the air. And then number 26, as I mentioned, I do have the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, I'm a rookie guy. I love rookie players. I think bringing that type of energy and having new a new you know, era of Jacksonville sports will be awesome. And even bringing back Tim Tebow, I'm not sure how he's going to perform, especially considering he's been playing baseball for the past couple of years. But I do think this is a team that has – is coming together with one simple goal. Obviously, you have the combination of Etienne and Lawrence coming in, the quarterback running back duo from Clemson, which I think will be huge for the Jaguars. I think a new coach in Urban Meyer hopefully will perform well. 
And I'm just, I'm excited for Jaguars football. I know season, like we talked about uh, a while back, I know season uh, ticket sales in general for the Jaguars are going to skyrocket with all of the names they're bringing in. And that's why I have them at 26. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right with uh, the excitement factor. I think that's going to be a big factor for all of these younger teams. I think they're going to be exciting, but they're not necessarily going to be good. And so uh, to start off, I've got a 32. I've got the Houston Texans. I think it's going to be a rough year for them. They don't have great picks. They're going to have to really hope that they can get a high-round pick, get a really good player. Obviously, we don't know what Deshaun Watson is going to do or if he's going to play at all, if he's going to play with the Texans anymore. We just don't know. And so there's so much uncertainty that I think it's just going to be a really rough year to be a Texans fan. At 31, I've got the New York Jets. I like Zach Wilson a lot. I like their draft. Elijah Berry Tucker was a very good pickup. I think building through the uh, offensive line, getting a good quarterback, that was big. But I think it's going to be an exciting year for Jets fans, but it's not going to be a great year. They're going to be, you know, top five draft pick again. Uh, 30, I've got the Jaguars. Part of it is just being a Colts fan. You know, I don't want to be have them be too good, but I also think it's going to be a fun year. They're going to be good with uh, Etienne and Lawrence playing together, but their defense isn't great. I think it's going to be a lot of, if they're going to be winning, it's going to be a lot of shootouts. They're going to have to be going pretty high into the 35s to 40s. And I just don't know if you can really trust Trevor Lawrence to do that in his first year, especially adjusting to NFL schemes. 29, I've got the Detroit Lions. I like their draft a lot. I think building through the offensive and defensive lines, I think that's just the way to go. It helps a lot just to have a good line. You know, you can get a good quarterback later on, but if you've got a good line, you know, you're going to be set up pretty well. And I think the big factor for this is going to be Jared Goff. You know, he could push them up to as high as 26, or they could be as low as 31. It just depends on how he's going to perform, especially with his uh, wide receiver weapons, which might not be great, but they're decent. So that's going to be a big one for them. 28, I've got the Carolina Panthers. They're trusting Sam Darnold a lot, which is somebody that's on the Jets. But also, I mean, the Panthers haven't played well. They For the past three seasons, they've went thir- 17 and 31. And now they're betting on a quarterback that was on the Jets previously. So it just depends on how well he's going to progress with them. 27, I've got the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. I really like their draft. Obviously, a lot of people were upset at them for not taking Panay Sewell. But I think getting Jamar Chase, keeping Joe Burrow happy, getting him a really good new weapon, especially losing A.J. Green to the Cardinals. I think it's a really good pickup. They've got their you know star wide receiver, star quarterback for the future. And they still upgraded their uh, offensive line, especially in free agency. I think they did a good job with it. And I think we're going to see a better line in front of Joe Burrow, and he's going to do a lot better. And then last but not least, I've got 26, the Atlanta Falcons. I like Kyle Pitts. I think, you know, it's it's tough to say, you know, you're going to go for the future because you might not have that high of a pick ever again at number four. Or you're going to try to, you know, go one more year with Matt Staff, or with uh, uh, Matt Ryan. And I think... They're not going to be great. They're going to probably have another losing year, which will be their fourth losing season in a row. But they're going to be exciting. But their defense just isn't good enough to really push them to, towards a playoff position. All right. I got to say, I've got pretty similar picks to you guys as far as the teams, but definitely uh, some different uh, positioning here. Texans, we're going to make it unanimous. Uh, down to 32. Deshaun Watson, of course, in a good deal of legal trouble. Uh, not reporting for camp. And from what I've heard, the chances he reports at all for the season are pretty low. Of course, um, they also lost Will Fuller and J.J. Watt. I don't, you know, expect this team to do anything substantial at all. Um, sadly, I do have the Lions the lowest among all of us, down at 31. Got to echo that seeing Stafford in anything but a Lions uniform is going to be tough. And the other way, watching the Lions without Stafford. 
Um, I think Luke's exactly right. Jared Goff and his play do affect a lot of how this team rolls. But, of course, losing Marvin Jones and Galladay in free agency is big. Uh, Coach Kneecaps is great. Building, you know, the foundation and trenches is great. But I just don't see anything outside of a top three pick. The Jets, of course, hiring Robert Sala. I have him at 30. Um, I would have liked to see Sala uh, as a Lions coach. Not mad with Campbell at all. Uh, but I think he'll do good for them. Zach Wilson, of course, uh, a big pickup. Two first rounds. Uh, they're two first round picks in the last two years. They've taken um, O lineman. So I think that's big. But, you know, not higher than 30 or th- uh, 29. That, that honestly might be the one thing I flip is Jets down to 31, Lions at 30. But I don't see much more movement other than that. Falcons, 29. Kyle Pitts, of course, a great tight end. But honestly, Alex was saying they should have picked someone up on defense. I would have liked to see a quarterback. I think Matt Ryan's just getting older and older, and it's really not going to, you know, get a lot better. They're turning, you know, the franchise is turning towards a full tank, and I think you got to start uh, with a quarterback. Arthur Smith, of course, a new head coach as uh, Dan Quinn leaves. That might be uh, a big turnaround for them as well. The Jags down to 28. Uh, I might have him the lowest out of all of us, actually. Well, um, Trevor Lawrence is big. Etienne is big. But I just don't think this team is very good. They lost a lot of guys the last couple of years. And to be honest with you, I don't you know, wish ill on anyone. But as a Michigan fan, uh, seeing Urban Meyer lose some games might uh, you know, make up for some of the losses we've had. Uh, Panthers up at 27. McCaffrey will be big. Of course, um, especially if he's healthy, I really hope he is. I like Teddy Two Gloves more than you know any Lions fan really should, but they don't have a lot of offensive talent outside of them and a very young defense overall. I don't see a lot out of this team. Uh, rounding out the Eagles at 26, uh, they have huge question marks at quarterback. Anyone named at cornerback rather, anyone named Darius Slay. They've got no real substance at linebacker at all. Very young wide receivers, and of course, Jalen Hurts, a very young quarterback. I do believe in him, to be honest with you, but I don't. Um, well, this is a great position for him to start his career in. Not a lot of weapons uh, around him. Yeah, I do, Christian. I do have to say, uh, it will be a little bit satisfying to if if Urban Meyer doesn't perform the way that uh, the Jaguars are expecting him to, I do have to say as a Michigan fan as well, it will be fairly satisfying to see that. But I do think there's going to be an energy in Jacksonville uh, with the guys that they have brought in that we haven't seen in a while. Um, And I do think that's going to make uh, it more exciting of a season for them. And I think the perfect way to cap the 32, the 32 to 26 power rankings for us is just a lot of excitement, but there still is a lot of room to develop um for these uh teams and so that's i think a positive for all of them especially the lions uh i don't think uh chris and i especially i don't think we want to see the lions at uh this uh stage but we're looking forward to the future and then you know rolling right into the nba we will probably be doing our nba power rankings fairly soon because we are midway through just about midway through the nba finals uh game three was last night and the bucks took that from the suns i don't get my sons in four anymore this is not a good time for me to predict anything i think i just need to quit before i either lose more or just end up losing more money 
Um, so I think this might be a while until I find something special to, you know, predict, which very well come, come at the end of this episode, who knows? I think I need to, uh, temporarily retire from predicting things. Uh, I guess I just have to move on to sons and five, which might not even be retiring at this point. I don't know. I my hands are up in the air, but, uh, let's get to some NBA talk boys. Uh, sons and five is pretty confident as well. Um, I'm sticking with Bucks and Seven only because that's what I said prior to the series. Kind of tied my hands there. I got to stick with the guns, but I, I, that's not really what I think is going to happen. Um, though I would like to see it. Uh, there were two really big runs that kind of defined this game for the Bucks. Uh, the first one, 20 to six to end the half. Uh, you know, with a lot of momentum going into halftime and uh, led Monty Williams to say in the halftime locker room that they're just freaking out working us, and I think that's exactly what was happening. Uh, the Suns then did come out about midway through the third, 522 left. They cut it to four points. Cam Johnson absolutely caught a body, left P.J. Tucker out on the floor. That was crazy, but uh, the Bucks just did not care. Um, they then went on an absolute tear to end the third quarter, 24-6. to six. Uh, They entered the fourth quarter with a 22-point lead. Drew Holiday was big, especially in that third. Nine straight buck points, three straight threes, and he scored or assisted on 15 of the Bucks' points in the final 6.30 of the game. Uh, Bucks perhaps turning it around, finding a little momentum. Absolutely, and I think a big factor is Giannis playing so well. He obviously played well in the first two games, but I think defensively we saw a lot better, a lot more growth from him because obviously he's a defensive player of the year. You know, he's really good, but the first couple of games he was still a little hampered by his injury. He wasn't able to move laterally super well. And so Devin Booker and Chris Paul were able to kind of take him off the dribble a little bit, which shouldn't happen anytime Giannis is on Booker or Chris Paul. It should be advantage Giannis. And we saw more of that this game. And I think Giannis just did a really good job. He's done a really good job of kind of eliminating the bad shots that we were talking about in earlier in the previous series where it's like, Giannis, you know, you got to stop taking so many threes, so many, you know, fadeaway uh, post shots, just get into the, you know, get into the paint, just get a bucket every single time, get a dunk. And he did that a lot in game three. He really dominated, obviously 41 points. It's just incredible. He played fantastic. And I think, you know, this was the first time DeAndre Ayton was in foul trouble this entire playoffs, and that was a big factor. Everybody was talking about it, even in, you know, Series 1 against the Lakers, and Giannis finally got to him, and they were able to really get him off the floor, and that was part of the run that happened in the third quarter when Frank Kaminsky was in the center, and Giannis is just too big. Really is too big, uh, and it's so, uh, I think Stan Van Gundy said it well enough, or uh, Jeff, rather, Van Gundy. Um, he was selectively aggressive. The whole Bucks team was. He had 41, 13, and 6. If you take away the two missed threes he had, he was 14 to 21 from the field inside of the, uh, the three-point line. He also, a big thing, 13 of 17 from the free throw line. You know, he didn't have 20K plus, uh, 20K plus people in Phoenix uh, counting, counting him down. Uh, but he is, he joins Shaq as the only player in NBA history to have 40 or more points and 10 or more rebounds in back-to-back finals games. Little ESPN stat for you there is absolutely tremendous. The issue, of course, is that the Bucs need him kind of playing at this level uh, to be not just to win games, you know, to be competitive or close in these games. 
And I think I think the best uh, transition I've got for you here is uh, speaking of Shaq stats. Back when he was Superman on the Magic, we do have a new Magic head coach, uh, Jamal Mosley, will be. Uh, coming in for the Magic, hoping to turn around uh, a franchise that I think is a little bit lost right now. Um, he played in college at Colorado, an assistant coach uh, with the Nuggets and Cavs uh, before the Mavs, and now his first chance at a head coaching job uh, with the Magic. Yeah, I think it's going to be a big one for him to just kind of figure it out. It's going to be a long rebuild for them, hopefully you know, when they were having these interviews with him, you know, they made that clear where it's like, you know, you got three seasons with us or something like that. You know, it's not going to be a quick turnaround, but you know, they got some youth. They've obviously got uh, two picks with the uh, Nikola Vucevic trade. They got two picks in the top 10 this year, which is really big. I think it's good to get, you know, the head coach before then figure out what kind of identity you're going to have before you take those two picks. Cause that's going to be a big impact. And I think, you know, they've got some good guys. Uh, Cole Anthony was good. Last year, I think that's going to be a big one for them. I think it's just going to be figuring out who you're keeping, who you're willing to get rid of, and you know, start almost doing the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder move, where you know you just take a couple of bad contracts for some some more uh, draft picks, keep rebuilding, and then hopefully, you know, in three years, you're able to contend for you know middle of the Eastern Conference. And uh, speaking of contending, we do have over in the NHL not just contending uh, but winning the Lightning. Back-to-back Stanley Cup champs uh, swept the Canadians. That was absolutely huge. Absolutely. They won in five back at home, which was nice for them to see. But um, I think that was a big factor for the uh, Tampa Bay faithful. You know, seeing their their team last year, they weren't able to celebrate because they were in the bubble up in Canada. But, you know, they were back home. They were able to celebrate with all their fans. It was packed outside. Everybody was excited for it. But... Andre Vasilevsky won the Conn Smythe as the most valuable player in the playoffs, and he absolutely deserved it. He, in 23 games played, he played all the games of the Lightning, which is the first goaltender since Ken Dryden, who played in the 70s, to play every single game for a team. In the 23 games played, he had 16 wins, 7 losses, none in overtime, for a 1.90 goals against average and a 9.37 save percentage. He was just played on his head the entire time. He got a shutout in the end. To win it, his fifth straight series-ending shutout, which is an NHL record, he's played phenomenally. And one big factor, both for the Lightning and Vasilevsky, is I believe over the past two seasons they're now 15 and 0 after losing. And you know, part of that is just a goaltender being willing to just say, "I'm not losing two games in a row." And anytime he's only 26, so any single any season where Vasilevsky is healthy. I think the Lightning are going to be in the running for another finals appearance. And having a goaltender like that is just so big because once the goaltender gets hot, it could change an entire playoff series. Yeah, and I think another uh, interesting thing to point out is with Vasilevsky, the Conn Smythe winner, clear choice for the Conn Smythe. He also led the NHL playoffs with five shutouts. The next best was Cam Talbot with two. That was just... it was so. It was a dominating performance when you when you were watching the games. It felt like Tampa just wasn't letting up anything, and they just had there was a clear you know show of dominance over any team that they played. And I think one of the things that people forget is that starts with Vasilevsky because as soon as any team tried to get anything going offensively, he would shut them down, and it would allow for the Lightning to get back in their offensive zone. And so, like a like a lot of people have been saying, clear choice for the Conn Smythe. 
Uh, and then just now I'm as much as I'm disappointed to see the hockey season over, it just leaves uh, a lot of room for a lot of uh, free agency and off season trades. So I could be more excited for that. What are your thoughts on the, the off season, Luke? Yeah, I think it's going to be, it's, it might be a big season for uh, free agents, but I think it's going to be a bigger season for trades. I think we're going to see a lot, especially with the expansion drafts coming up. You know, a, a team can trade a player to the Kraken for in exchange for them taking a, a player in the expansion draft if they want to protect every other player and just trade somebody that the Kraken might want. So I think we'll see that a little bit. But I also think, you know, we saw some really good goaltenders step up in the playoffs with uh, the two that really come out to mind is Ilya Sorokin with the Islanders and Alex Nedeljkovic for the Hurricanes. And they both have two good goaltenders in front of them that are older. And so we might see, you know, one of them move on if they want to become, you know, the the main man between the pipes. And so we might see some people traded throughout. But I think it's going to be a big, really big season for trades. Obviously, the biggest free agent is Alex Ovechkin, but I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he's going to be a capital for life. And it's going to be a fun season. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. Like I said, in the NBA, we also... What I said to the NBA will also apply to the NHL. We will probably be doing our power rankings for both leagues coming up very soon as both of those seasons will start in the fall. So we only have about a month or two before that will happen. And during that time, the MLB will be in their playoffs. But we currently are midway through the season. We just arrived to the all-star break and we did have the MLB draft last night. And I can't believe I'm giving uh, Major League Baseball as an organization credit right now, but I am going to give them credit for moving the, the draft to All-Star Week. I think it builds a lot of anticipation and it builds up the presence for the MLB draft, having that a part of the All-Star Week festivities. Uh, obviously, we saw Henry Davis, uh, catcher from Louisville, went first to the Pirates. Jack Leiter went second to the Texas Rangers. And the Detroit Tigers took with the third pick Jackson Job, a high school right-hander who's throwing um, the upper 90s. I'll get more into Jackson Job and our opinions on him later. But um, it was a it was a solid night for the draft. There were a lot of very very big names coming out. Kumar Rocker went tenth to the Mets. Um, Jordan Lawler went uh, sixth to the Diamondbacks, and Marcelo Meyer went fourth to the uh, Red Sox. Who my, most people thought that Meyer was going to go first to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Mock drafts were busted right away when they took uh, Henry Davis. But um, it's definitely interesting to see how those things play off because I think baseball, the difference between baseball or the MLB draft compared to a lot of these others is the farm systems are built in such a different way. And there are certain people kind of count out the fact that they might, those teams might not need the, a pitcher in their major league organization now, but in their farm system where they're rebuilding and they're, you know, developing players, they need that position. So for example, you might say, Oh, you know, Kyle Gibson, who nobody's talking about right now, which I think is ridiculous because he's been on a roll. But Kyle Gibson, who's one of the uh, Rangers pitchers, has been playing really well. The Rangers have had a solid pitching staff, but they still took Jack Leiter because they are developing pitchers and they think they're going to have a strong course. I think that's one thing to remember when you're talking about they might not need that position in the major leagues right now, but it gives them time to develop for when they do need that position. And I think that's the interesting thing about baseball compared to other sports um, is that development that, that that they have compared to other you know sports like football with the NFL or hockey with the NHL. Um, and then rolling into all the other All-Star Week festivities, the Home Run Derby is tonight. I don't see how Shohei Otani isn't going to take this one, but I'd love to hear your guys' opinions. So for, for those of you that have listened 
you know, to our previous episodes, you'll know I'm I'm not a big MLB guy. This is usually a, a silent segment for me. I'm trying. So last night I'm, I'm watching the MLB draft and what do I see come up? But I got, I got to just quote, you know, myself in the group chat here last night. What in the heck is a competitive balance round? What, like why, why do you need extra picks? You're bad already. You get one of the top picks. It does not make, I need this explained. All right. Now, this is not necessary. This is, I think, where you're getting confused. This doesn't mean that you are a bad team. It can because of certain equations that go into play. But there's a difference between the competitive balance round and comp picks or compensation picks. Now, compensation pick can be awarded when a player opts out of, like, has uh, uses or executes their player option. As For those of you who don't know what a player option is, certain times – Uh, teams will throw in what is called a player or team option in a contract where the team can decide whether they want to keep the player or the player can decide that whether they want to stay with that team or not. Compensation picks are picks that are awarded by major league baseball that essentially make up for players that execute their player options. For example, a great example would be Trevor Bauer. While he was with the Cincinnati Reds, the Reds offered him a qualifying offer, but he chose to enter free agency. And so when he entered free agency, the Los Angeles Dodgers gave him a higher deal. And because of that, the Reds were awarded a comp pick. Wow. Now, they lost a guy in free agency. It's just now you weren't good enough to get that guy back. Why do you get a pick for that? All righty. Now, this is where I'm going to pull in my one of my favorite movies of all time. It's called Moneyball. For those of you who haven't seen Moneyball, one, I would highly recommend you go uh, go watch it. It is a wonderful movie. And for seconds, Billy Bean explains it perfectly in the beginning. He goes, there are rich teams, and there are poor teams, and then there's like 50 feet of dirt, and then there's us. And he was describing the Oakland days when he was talking about salary cap. The difference is, is there are teams that have a much, much, much higher salary cap and higher, uh, excuse me, player payroll than other teams because they simply because they can afford it. And so what Moneyball is about is taking a smaller payroll and finding different ways to build a team based on statistics, not necessarily the you know attributes a player has. This is essentially is goes against like it prevents teams from having to do that. And so there are two rounds to competitive uh to the competitive balance rounds. There's competitive balance round A and round B. Now there were seven picks in the in round A, which were awarded to the Miami Marlins, the Detroit Tigers, the Milwaukee Brewers, the Tampa Bay Rays, and the Minnesota Twins. Now there's a big difference between uh comp picks and the competitive balance round. I just want that put out there before I continue. The competitive balance round in the draft was something that was introduced in the 2017 to 2021 collective bargaining agreement, which essentially means that the 10 lowest revenue clubs and the clubs from the 10 smallest markets are eligible to receive a competitive balance pick. All eligible teams are assigned to either round A or round B in the second rounds of the rule for draft. Those six, there are six teams that will pick in round A, and in 2017, 2019, 21, the remaining 
six, the remaining teams estimated to probably be it probably be between six and eight teams, depending on uh, market value, will pick in Group B, and it rotates every year. So, it, like if you had a competitive balance uh, picking competitive balance round A in 2017, you would have it in B in 2018. And then clubs drafting in the competitive balance round also receive more international bonus pool money than the minimum of $4.75 million. And those drafting in A will get $5.25 million, while the, those in B will get $5.75 million to make up for the fact that they are in round B. Now, the interesting thing with competitive balance, the competitive balance picks is those picks can be traded. So... The point I, I understand, and Christian's like, what difference does that make? If you have a competitive balance pick with the low market team, you can use that pick to maybe move up in the draft or maybe acquire a pick if you if you traded away your first one already. It's about making it easier for small market teams to sign rookies or jump ahead in the draft. You're just, you're just giving them free assets. Look at the NBA. Obviously, it's dynasty filled, but who are the two teams in the finals right now? Milwaukee, teeny tiny market. Phoenix, teeny tiny market. They just got good players. They did like they were bad for a while, and they got to pick higher in the draft. You know, they got better chances to get better player. I don't, I don't get why you need a little bit more than that just because oh, we don't have enough money. That means oh, we got to have better execs. We got to have better scouts so that we can kind of beat the odds instead of like, all right, here's just free assets for you. The difference in that, the reason I like this is for the exact reason that I don't like the NBA draft lottery is because teams that are consistently bad and just, you know, can have, will have an extreme benefit of getting a number one pick. Don't get, you know, essentially screwed out of a top pick. We see it with the Red Wings. The Red Wings have had the sixth draft pick Almost just about every year in the past five or six years, I'm sure Luke will probably agree with this. And I've also had one of the worst records in the NHL over that span. So it is. This is a rule essentially making it easier for. It gives them more options on what they can do to build their team, and I'm all for that. I don't want to go too long, so I'm just going to leave it here. But I got to just say, like, this is stupid. I don't think there's any need. You know, I agree. I, I don't want to run out of time on this one, so I think we're going to have to save this argument for later uh, later recordings and later episodes, but I do think this is something we're going to have to make a theme of the whole Christian declares this because I think it made for some pretty entertaining debates. Um, and moving on from that, we do have the Home Run Derby tonight. Obviously, the All-Star festivities are taking place at Coors Field in Colorado. Um, so it'll start tonight with the Home Run Derby. Obviously, we see players like Shohei Otani, Joey Gallo, uh, Juan Soto uh, competing in this. And we do get a Colorado native in Trevor Story. I know a lot of people have talked about the fact that they think Joey Gallo is going to take this one. I personally think with the role that Shohei Otani has been on that he's going to take it tonight. Um, that man is on. I, someone check this guy for steroids, please. It, this this can't be real. It, it seems like it, it's like we talked about earlier with Fernando Tatis being posted everywhere just because he was an electric personality. Shohei Otani, it's like every other day he hits a home run and it's out there. 
It's it, Mike Trout isn't the best, like isn't the face of the Angels right now, and I don't know what to do. My hands are up. I don't know how to explain this because I didn't think this was going to happen. I don't think anybody thought this was going to happen, at least to this magnitude. So I have him taking home run derby tonight, and then we will see that. Preceded by the All-Star game on Tuesday before we roll back into Major League regular season play on Thursday. And with that, let's roll right into Michigan Minute. We have got Midwest Minute queued up. We're starting in the NBA, uh, where we are just under three weeks from the 2021 NFL Draft. It is on July 29th, and as a Pistons fan, you know I'm excited to get the K-Brigade started. And um, I don't know. You've heard me talk about uh, K more than enough. Uh, so we're just going to touch on the other the other Midwest teams at the moment. Um, from what I've seen, uh, a little surprising to be honest, but Jalen Green is going second in more and more mock draft videos. Um, Kevin Porter Jr. was on an IG Live uh, about a week ago. And evidently Jalen Green commented something about, you know, that duo being a scary backcourt or the league not being ready for it. And uh, KP was just like, you know, keep that quiet, maybe knowing something uh, we don't. But either way, uh, I think what it is going to uh, end up happening is uh, the Rockets kind of dictate what the Cavs do. The Rockets at number two, whether they take Jalen Green or Evan Mobley, the Cavs uh, who are at number three are just going to uh, whoever is left and honestly either one. Uh, are very good. Evan Mobley, if they do end up with him, 7-1, a ton of upside. He's a great electric scoring big. Uh, but at this point, especially after Colin Sexton being, and I quote, very available for trade, uh, as reported just yesterday, they could take anybody. Um, obviously, Jalen Suggs, a point guard. Uh, they might need him, but Garland has been really filling that point guard role. So probably take Jalen Green if they have him. Evan Mobley would be more than adequate. Both of them are incredibly talented and have a lot of upside. Um, just, you know, a reminder, uh, literally every other Midwest team in the in the N N NBA uh, traded away their first-round picks, uh, every single one except for Luke's Pacers at 13. Uh, now, I did say a couple weeks ago uh, that Book Knight would be a very good fit. I still am down with that. I agree with that. But I also said uh, the idea that he had a great uh, viral shooting performance at the Combine, and people are really keying in on that. I think that's why a lot of people have him jumping even in the top 10 now. I can't blame them. Um, but that does leave the Pacers, of course, with fewer options or at least different names. Um, Luke, have you seen – uh, Davion Mitchell fall that low. I, um, it's a big name for you guys. I have, and I actually really like that pick. I think that obviously he was a, a national defensive player of the year. I think that that kind of player would be really good with us, especially with Malcolm Brogdon. We'd have a bigger backcourt with both, you know, Brogdon's a decent defender, not great, not like all uh, defensive level, but he's good enough. Davion Mitchell would be great on defense. And then just give us another facilitator, obviously with Karis LeVert, playing as well you know we know he can go get a bucket Demontis Sabonis Miles Turner if they both stick around you know they can go score just having good defensive backcourt players you know like every it's a point guard driven league we've seen a lot of players you know teams get scorched by really good point guards obviously Damian Lillard Steph Curry LaMelo Ball's playing well 
Like we've seen a lot of really good point guards. I think getting good point guard defenders is just a crucial part. So I wouldn't complain about that one at all. I mean, you could even play Mitchell, obviously the way the league is going, like you said, point guards, but also multiple ball handlers. Uh, So I think having Brogdon and Mitchell both uh, as options at the one would be great. And you could honestly move either of them to two because Mitchell shot almost 45% from three. And I gotta, I gotta say real quick, he has maybe the best nickname I've ever heard. I don't, I don't, you know, there aren't a lot of guys that get nicknames, you know, prior to the NBA, let alone in their first couple of years. But let me introduce you to off night. I don't know. I I love that. It's just whenever anyone, uh, whatever team is playing them, their best player always has an off night. I think it just sounds so cool. It brings a ton of energy and he has incredible court vision as well. I think he'd be a great pickup. Absolutely. And we're talking, you know, a little bit about the draft. Uh, NHL draft isn't too far away, but this time we're going to talk more about some uh, top 25 free agents that are just available. And then as we get closer, you know, there'll be more mock draft stuff like that. We'll go a little bit more into what each team is going to pick. But the top 25 uh, free agents, uh, Nick Foligno, center left wing, he's 33. Um, He's with the Maple Leafs right now, but he's probably going to leave. But it's going to just depend on what people think he's got left in the tank any team that really needs a center or left wing that just a kind of depth third or fourth round or uh, fourth line, kind of like what we saw with uh, Mark Stahl and Corey Perry on the Canadians, just a veteran line that can just go out there and, you know, slow the game down, grind and play well on penalty kill. 24, we got Mike Hoffman at uh, left wing. He's 31. He's a goal scorer. He came into 21, uh, 2021, having scored 20 plus goals in six straight seasons. And if there was a full 82 game schedule, he would have done the exact same. He had 17 goals in 52 games. He isn't great defensively, but he's a good scorer and power play production, which is something teams like the Red Wings need or something like that. Just a good power play and five-on-five score. And so I think a lot of people will be looking for him just for offense. Maybe even the Sabres, too, depending on who they pick at number one, if they're trying to build right away. 23, we got Alex Goligoski as a defenseman. He's 35, but he's really consistent and dependable. He's played 20-plus minutes per game and more than 19 assists in 11 straight seasons. Be good on like a third-line kind of defense um, for any team that really wants to go and win a Stanley Cup. So look for him to go to a contender. Just at 35, you know, you only got a couple seasons left. I think he deserves a ring. 22, we got Adam Larson, who's 28 and a defenseman. He was good as a defensive defenseman. He's not going to be great offensively with the Oilers, but I think Edmonton's going to try to keep him. But... You know, you never know with the free agency. You never know what team makes a massive offer to him. But I think Edmonton would be really smart to keep him and try to build around that young core. 21, we got uh, David Savard, who was really good with the Tampa Bay Lightning. He's a defenseman. He's 30. I think he's going to go back to the Lightning. I think they, they need him. He had a massive role in winning that uh, Stanley Cup for them. He blocked shots multiple times. He had five to eight blocks. He was just incredible at getting in the right spots at the right time. And I think he's going to be really big for a contender. 20, we got Mikhail Granlund, a left wing or center at 29. He had 27 points in 51 games. He's a good role player, but not going to be, you know, a top two line player. But obviously we all, you know, you always need good role players that can go out there and get a bucket. And we're going to keep going later on with, uh, we'll go by five by five for the next uh, couple episodes just to keep you going with that. But that's everything for now. Alrighty, so let's roll into our MLB section of Midwest Minute. 
Uh, we'll start off in the American League. The Chicago White Sox are still rolling. They're on a five-game winning streak and are 7-3 and three in the last 10. They're still atop the AL Central, followed by the Cleveland Indians, who are eight games back, uh, currently on a three-game winning streak, but we're uh, – there are so you know the three and seven in their last ten, so those three wins just came in the last three games, and they're at 42, 45 and forty-two. Um, the Detroit Tigers are in third place. Shockingly, uh, they just came off of a four-game sweep. Uh, they were swept by the Minnesota Twins, who follow them. Uh, they're at thirty-nine and fifty. The Tigers are forty and fifty-one. So just a one-game difference between the two teams, and then bottoming out the AL Central is the Kansas City Royals who have lost their last four games and are 36 and 53. And then moving into the NL Central, the Milwaukee Brewers are riding high in that uh, in that division. They're 53 and 39. However, they are four and six in their last 10 and are on a three-game losing streak. So I think the NL Central, it's safe to say, is still up for grabs. Uh, the Cincinnati Reds are be just behind with four games back. Uh, on a three-game winning streak, and they're on eight and two in their last ten. So uh, look for the Cincinnati Reds to break out soon. Chicago Cubs are starting to collapse a bit. I'm sad to say uh, they're two and eight in their last ten. Uh, they're on a one-game losing streak. Uh, they're 44 and 46, and that for a while that they were you know, up there with the Brewers leading the NL Central. So haven't seen too much good out of the Cubs, and their rival uh, Cardinals are also. 44 and 46 both teams are eight games back however the cardinals are five and five in their last 10 and the cardinals and the pittsburgh pirates are both on one game winning streaks thank you christian uh they, however the pirates are 34 and 56 and are 18 games back in the nl central and that'll wrap up michigan uh midwest minute let's roll into michigan madness to start off michigan madness i know alex was loving this Hunter is back. A Michigan basketball is rolling thanks to an announcement just last week that Hunter Dickinson, previously Big Ten freshman of the year, will be returning for, quote, one last ride in Ann Arbor. I mean, this is just more proof that the NIL is doing great things. That's I, essentially the reason he came back uh, to Michigan. I do think... Uh, the ability to go out and get endorsed by brands and make money now is a huge attribute and a huge positive in the eyes of a lot of college athletes. And obviously Christian, you said it best. I could not be happier to have him back on the team. Um, I think we're, I think Michigan is going to make another run in March madness again. Hopefully we won't lose to UCLA and Semi is not going to go into that game too much because I don't want to get sad again. But, um, no, great to have him back. Hopefully this leads to other players coming back because I just love college basketball. March Madness is one of my favorite times of year. And so I, that's just more proof to what we talked about last episode with the NIL being such a great thing because it gives college athletes more time in college and it gives them an opportunity to seek out endorsements, seek out brand deals, and it gives them – an early look into those things before they just get hit by them with the NBA. Um, and so, like I said, I could not be happier that, to have Hunter back. Uh, like you just said, he's the rookie. He was the big 10 uh, freshman of the year. almost said rookie, but um, I, <laughs> with him and Caleb Houston, just completely destroying right now with the Canadian U19 team. Uh, they grabbed the bronze medal. And, hey, 
I, I'm all for it, man. I'm all for it. We got some young bucks coming in as well of having some young bucks come back. So I think this is going to be an exciting season for Michigan basketball. Oh, yeah. I am super light, honestly. But on a similar vein here, we do have uh, some Pistons ready to pick up uh, gold medals. Jeremy Grant uh, scores his first points as an Olympian in some exhibition games. And an interesting thing here, Booker, Drew, and Middleton are all set to join the uh, U.S. Olympic team once they're done with the finals. Of course, they're only missing exhibition games. Don't have a ton of meaning uh, when you're Team USA. But one of the things that came out of this was Sadiq got called up to the regular roster uh, for the exhibition games and didn't actually play. But what happens is, if I'm not mistaken, he is now medal eligible because he's on the actual roster. So I'm about to see two Pistons get a gold and I could not be happier. Uh, Pistons don't have a ton of other, um, you know, actual ball-related news other than the K-Brigade is now less than three weeks away from entering. Right? And this man is a baller. And uh, the young core he'll be joining is uh, nothing but exciting uh, for Detroit. Christian, what happens if the Pistons don't pick Cade? I <laughs> No, I'm serious. I, I just want to be there. I think we might have to do like a group FaceTime call during the draft just in case the Pistons miraculously don't take Cade just to see your reaction. So first off, you're, you're putting doubt in my mind right now, which hurts just a little. Um, but if we pull a Darko again, and for those of you that don't know, back in 04, I got to relive um horrible moment. The Detroit Pistons decided to take Darko Milicic, who is famously one of the worst busts in the history of the NBA. We took him at number two, who went at number three, Carmelo Anthony, who went, I think, down at number seven, and not also in that draft, uh, Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade. And um, if we take, I, to be honest with you, I wouldn't be mad, big air quotes, wouldn't be mad if we took. Uh, Jalen Green or Evan Mobley to the point where they're also, I think, going to be good players. But if we don't, I'm like having those players, I wouldn't be mad with. But if we end up with anyone except Cade Cunningham outside this draft night, oh, I'll be pissed off. Um, that's all I got to say. Uh, speaking of Darko Christian, I think the Tigers, and I hate to say it, but I think they might have taken the Darko of the Detroit Tigers draft history. They picked Jackson Job with the third overall pick in last night's draft. Now, Jackson Job is a right-handed pitcher from Oklahoma. He's throwing high 90s as a high schooler, which is amazing. But I am just not very comfortable taking a high school pitcher that high in the draft, especially when they had Meyer sitting there, who was projected to go number one to the Pirates. The Pirates obviously did not take him. They took Henry Davis, and he was sitting there, but we still took Jackson Job. If Casey Mize can have issues in the minor leagues with his arm and to the point where we almost didn't know if he was going to have a career-ending injury, why would we take a high schooler who is definitely less developed, he definitely has more room to grow, I don't know. I'm, I hope I sound like a fool for this uh, in a couple of years, 
but I am not very excited about that pick. I will say I'm excited about their uh, competitive balance round pick, Christian. That was a great pick. Ty Madden from Texas. Um, another great thing from the competitive balance round. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Um, but no, that I think having him come out of Texas was an awesome grab. Um, you know, we obviously, I think one of the big things we need right now is pitching. And Ty Madden had a 2.45 ERA and an impressive rate of 10.85 strikeouts per nine innings with the Texas Longhorns. So I am all for Ty Madden. Out of the kindness of my heart, I will put Job as a question mark because I just don't know. I Again, I'm not a scout. None of us are scouts, so we don't know. We don't see what they see, and we don't know what they know. But drafting a high school arm with the third overall pick just seems like too much risk compared to the possible reward. So I'm a bit nervous and disappointed, but we got a long way to go. And hopefully, like I said, I will look like a fool. Absolutely. But I do, I want to agree with you. The Ty Madden pick, I think was really good, especially, you know, he was probably going to go into top 10 within the first round and they got him at pick 32. I think that was a really good pickup. And I also like the fact that they were doubling down on their right-handed pitchers. They, you know, they needed pitching, like you said. And so they went ahead and grabbed two just in case, you know, if one doesn't turn out, they've got another one in the, you know, coming up. And if both of them turn out, they've got their bullpen of the future. So I thought that was a really good pickup to just double down and get what they really needed. That's exactly right, and um, I'm excited to see the next few rounds. Obviously, uh, rounds ten, rounds two through ten will be airing on MLB Network today. Um, go watch that before the uh, home run derby tonight. So we'll see who else the Tigers get with their later draft picks. Um, and yeah, it's just more exciting baseball content. I like I said, we're going to leave Job as a question mark. We're excited for Ty Madden, and that's all I got for you as of now. All right, that'll do it for episode four of Great Takes from the Great Lakes. You can, of course, find us under either Great Takes from the Great Lakes or Tunnel Vision Sports on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Of course, don't forget to go follow uh, the TVS, uh, TV Sports, or underscore TV Sports on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Got a quick question for you, Alex. Have you uh, followed Great Takes from the Great Lakes on Instagram yet? Of course. If you haven't followed Great Takes from the Great Lakes on Instagram, what are you even doing on social media? What What is there to scroll through? Nothing. There is nothing exactly. listening to us. Exactly. So go give us a follow. Go throw Tunnel Vision Sports a follow, and we will see you next week.